Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back to an all-new, all-different Uncanny X's for Podcast, where we examine the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it begins its multi-titles 80s expansion. I'm your host, Jonah. I'm Dylan. I'm Mikey. And I'm Nico, and we hope you guys survive the experience. Unlike Alpha Flight, you know, it's so funny because Alpha Flight has been something I feel like we've been talking about forever. In so many ways, it kind of comes up in that giant size X-Men number one situation with Wolverine, even though it's not really by that name. So it's like a thing. But here we are, finally, finally, fucking-ly, looking at Alpha Flight numbers one through six by John Byrne. And I say by John Byrne, and I mean by John Byrne. (laughs) Now, there's a couple of weird... I don't want to say inconsistencies, but just a few notes I want to mention. Alpha Flight didn't debut for an incredibly long time. As a matter of fact, while Alpha Flight in many ways found its start in Uncanny X-Men 109, it wasn't until, geez... I guess, right around the time of X-Men 175 that Alpha Flight got rolling. So there's that reference early on in issue one that says the events of Uncanny X-Men 139 and 140 were just a mere few weeks earlier, and that couldn't be further from the truth. But it's also been a while since we've heard from our good buddy Mikey. So Mikey, I want to welcome you back to the show, man. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you back on Alpha Flight. We did the refresh episodes, and now we're here to talk about the great Northern Super Team. Now, how have you felt like trying to capture this team over the course of the last like eight years of publication? Well, it was good to finally get some standalone issues, at least the first six, the ones we're covering today, about some of the key members. So I know when we did another episode, uh, there was Puck, and I'm like, who is this guy? I don't really know much about him. And then finally, when he got his own, I'm like, ah, now I like this character a lot more, and he became my second favorite behind Sasquatch. Yeah, Puck's hot as fuck. I love Puck. He is just stupid hot and stupid great, and he's just a hairy little man who wants to save the day. And speaking of hairy guys who want to save the day, we of course have with us Dylan and Jonah. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Neither of you have anything to say about that? I laughed. I'm not as hairy as Sasquatch or Puck. (laughs) I'm glad to be a part of this. It is so great to have the full team here, and in many ways, that's one of the things I love the most about Alpha Flight. They're kind of like, they're sort of like a weird hodgepodge of way too powerful, and I'm not sure why you're here. You know, I just, I want to talk about the team for a minute before we get into anything else. Snowbird is like goddess level, Shaman is like Doctor Strange level, and Sasquatch like actually is like a great beast. And then you've got, you know, Mac, Shrug. (laughs) I'm pretty serious. I think Mac's like the least impressive member of Alpha Flight by far. I would say that's Northstar and Aurora. Aurora? Not Aurora. She's not here. No, she'd be fabulous. It's too cold for her. 
Because she never wears clothes. I'm pretty sure Storm is immune to weather, so it matter if she has clothes or not. Um, but yes, I would agree. Mac is pretty boring. Uh, but mm, I would agree with what Jonah said. North Star and Aurora are a little not exciting in these first couple of issues. But for those of us that know, both of them do get a little bit more interesting as the series goes on. I mostly just don't like them because they're named Jean Marie and Jean Paul. They're twins. They don't need that kind I, of name. I believe they're Jean Marie and Jean Paul. No, 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 no. Jean, Jean Marie and Jean, Jean Paul. Paul. Got it. The it's Italian like, is coming out. It's like Sade. If you're ever in Brooklyn, it's just Sade. So, Mikey, I lured you in with, I was like, they're like Canadian X-Men. But instead, they're kind of like uh, an OP Justice League. From Canada. From Canada. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe. Uh, I didn't really feel like that X-Men camaraderie from them. Um, granted, I don't read too much X-Men, but from what I have read, it's more of like that that team feel- feeling where everybody can kind of do their own thing, get their own, uh, you know, standalone series, and then Puck can be your Batman and kind of be like that short macho um Hero. So excited someone just made him Batman? <laughs> Puck's usually like, you know, Alfred. Oh, no, Puck's usually fucking Alfred. They're usually like, does Puck need to be in this story? Wild Child gets better play than Puck later on. So, and that's just such a fucking deep cut. So <laughs> yes, it is. But Dylan, who is your favorite member of this Alpha Flight? Of this Alpha Flight, I am a sucker for people that are of the sea, so Marina is my... What? <laughs> I knew that was going to shock you, but she's... That's bizarre! No, it's not. She's a cool, not okay. as strong Atlantean, but not Atlantean. <laughs> she looks like a fucking tadpole. Leave her be. That's what she choose to look like. <laughs> she looks like... Nice. She looks like Kermit's nephew when he was on Muppet Babies living in the fish oh my God. It's not her fault. She said she was beautiful, but not tonight. I, it's not her fault. I'm pretty sure I told her she needs to pack her knives, so... Wow. Okay. <laughs> Marina! She's not even a fucking member of Alpha. Go, 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 go like Box. Go back to Beta Flight and go like Box. I can't with you right now. I'll tell you who the correct answer is. Snowbird. Anne McKenzie is everything. Shout out to friend of the pod, Amanda Martini, for her amazing Snowbird cosplay. Because Always. Because Snowbird is amazing. I love her. For me, it's Shaman and Puck. Like, I don't think there's another choice. But, Mikey, I believe you've already said your favorite is Sasquatch. Sasquatch and Puck, one and two. I like it. I like it. This first issue, Tundra, first of all, it is like a 38-page issue that actually feels like 38 pages. It doesn't feel too long with language. It doesn't feel needlessly short with splash pages. This actually felt like a 38-page issue. I think it set up a lot of the characters well, a lot of the emotional relationships, but I kind of found myself tired by the end. Yeah, I, I want to commend this issue for its pacing being so great. It really did not feel hard to read. It actually, to me, felt like a modern day comic. Modern day comics that focus a lot more on the art and have less dialogue are much easier to get through to the dialogue filled comics of yesteryear. Here, everything felt like, okay, 
I can read this at a really reasonable pace and I don't feel like anything is slogged down. But I actually don't think this even needs to be 38 pages. I think it would have been fine as a standard 22 comic. I agree with you on that. I thought it was a little bit too long, considering that this wasn't the first intro as everybody as as a team. Like, we had them in other issues of Uncanny. So, I mean, it was good. I know at the time they were doing the, the giant-sized issues of stuff, so I think it could have been served for that. But otherwise... I thought it was, you know, a little bit too long. It could have been definitely 20-some pages, like you said. Dylan, what did you think about John Byrne's first issue of Alpha Flight? I would probably have to agree with Mikey on the length of the book. I think, really, the first issue could have been giving us just the descriptions of the characters, since we had already met them in Uncanny, but it had been quite some time since. Just give us a, like, deep-cut biography of them and then like the second issue could have been really more so like the second half of the book where they were actually on their first mission i think if it maybe would have been cut a little bit shorter they could have given maybe a little bit more depth into each of the characters because they they did give us a good description of them and their powers but i feel like it was maybe also a little bit rushed so they could also have this story show up at the second half of the book i think we could have given maybe one or two more pages to the character profile pages and then the second issue introducing the mission would have made everything flow a little bit better and you know speaking of introductions i agree with everything you guys are saying and there's two really significant standouts to me in a way that kind of set the tone for the series number one i truly truly do not like the depiction of mental illness as presented in aurora it's problematic it's of its time things would be done differently now but also they probably could have been done differently then and number two i love how involved heather is that is such a staple of Alpha Flight and the flashbacks we're going to get with Wolverine in his own series where we see him and Heather and Mac all come to know one another and his time in Department H. So whenever we see those things, Heather's involvement is always such a huge part of Alpha Flight that I'm glad that early on in the series, as early as issue one, we got that established. I will say the only thing I didn't really need about Heather is her being barely legal when they get married. That is, that kind of, it kind of gets adjusted. Like, I I don't want to say that they specifically go out of their way to be like, she was older than you think. But uh, there's some flashback stuff with Wolverine later on that definitely kind of fudges with the timeline although side note speaking of timelines shout out to the best version of heather hudson ever sasquatch from exiles that was a cool twist mikey what did you think about either the depiction of mental illness or the hyper involvement of a civilian wife in the i guess closet running of the alpha flight i mean like literally they run it from a closet so the mental illness depiction being that it's 2020 I kind of looked at it as, did they really put this into print? But having said that, this was published in 1983. So again, having to do with the times, at the, the times and the way things were depicted and the way, I guess, mental illness was viewed and sometimes considered a taboo. Good for Marvel for being edgy, I guess, but... 
I mean, I don't think something like that would have flown today. No, it wouldn't. I want to say this. I think the idea is there for Aurora when it comes to her and Jean Marie kind of being these split personas. I really do think that there could be something interesting there. I think labeling it as a mental illness is where it becomes muddled and a little bit tricky. And we kind of go, we wince and go, ooh, maybe not that much, but... I do think that there could have been something interesting if they wanted to do something similar today, you know, with sensitivity readers and understanding mental illness better. There's a, I think there is a way to do it nowadays where it comes off as a cool and interesting character trait as opposed to offending somebody with mental illness. Dylan, knowing where Aurora will end up one day, cough, cough, supernovas, like, and anybody who doesn't, like, anybody who doesn't just, like, like two-handed jack off over Mike Carey's <laughs> X-Men like doesn't understand what a good fucking comic book is but knowing Weapon X by Frank Thierry I can't stop naming good later Aurora but like knowing where she winds up what are your thoughts on this early appearance of Aurora like Mikey said, kudos to Marvel for trying to appeal to different audiences, especially with a new team. So I understand that it was awesome that they tried this. I don't think it came off very well. I wish comics in general back then were more kind of like they are nowadays when it comes to introducing a certain characteristic of a character or detail like mental illness. Nowadays in comics, Marvel asks doctors to help them write these characters in profound ways they weren't doing that back then just like dr matt connor our contributor here on exes for podcast who is the psychological consultant for work on nadia the new wasp correct and so i wish they would have done that back then but they weren't doing that but again kudos to them for trying to introduce a superhero with a mental issue back in the 80s to appeal to people i'm happy that they did it it just didn't come off okay and now i'm not trying to be a dick and i'm not coming at you because you know i love you and i think the world of you but i don't think any of the marina stuff comes off any better like I feel in many ways they might as well have called her exotic. <laughs> like, I think the Marina stuff ages poorly as well. She is so fetishized. And I'm like supposed to feel bad for this guy that he doesn't get to keep his what turns out to be stepsister alien bug lover. And like, I'm supposed to be upset for him. Bitch hatched. Like... I don't know what else to okay, say. Real quick, if you're okay. gonna, men- it's <laughs> not her fault. <laughs> if you're gonna mention a weirdo-looking character and then falling in love with their step sibling, let's you know remember that we all like Nightcrawler, and he did the same thing with his stepsister. So calm down. He's not weird looking, but he did kind of date his adoptive step sibling for a while. So yeah, they're very comparable. <laughs> and let's not forget Ultimate North Star and Aurora. Bang! Oh, wait, no. That's Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Are they not siblings? No, they're they're siblings. That's just gross. They're twins. (laughs) We don't do twins this year. Bang, bang. I apologize to all the Twinsess supporters out there. I actually don't. That's kind of gross. It's a weird list we're not trying to get on on Spotify. We're already on too many lists. I'm wondering if this served as a inspiration for the the movie that I'm blanking on the name, the Guillermo del Toro one, the one the best picture. 
Oh, uh, shape of water. Shape of water. Shape of water. She fucks a fish. (laughs) I got, I got a lot of that sense when reading it. I was just like, wow, this is really fetishizing a fish person. And if I may, Marina, like where you dock your boat, right? Like you dock your boat in a marina. Wow, there's some like my mind's there's blown. some some like schooner Rebecca kind of shit I going didn't... on there. I just realized in my head while reading, I pronounced her name wrong this entire time. <laughs> I was pronouncing it as Mariana. <laughs> wow, my mind's blown. That's a really good one. Exactly. Now, like I, I don't know if I like her because of everything that just came out of your mouth. <laughs> Better out of my mouth than hers. So I feel like I'm hard on Marina for no reason. And I feel like, you know, if her name was Namora or Namorita, I'd be fine with it because I love both of them. I even love when Namorita turns blue and scaly. And that's real divisive. So <laughs> I, what did you guys think of Marina? Specifically, Mikey and Jonah, because Dylan... I already know you stand sexy. <laughs> She's kind of there, to be honest. I don't really have like a formal opinion about her yet. I'm waiting to see more of her as we get further on into the series. But I, I just think the... I'm not sure where they were trying to go, what the inspiration was for the character. Maybe a, a female version of Namor. I know Namor wasn't in, in the issue number four. So I don't know if that was like the angle they were trying to go with, trying to get like a version of that, a female one. I thought like her being like cuffed and tied up. Eh, I wasn't sure, but maybe as the series goes on, my opinion will change. But right now, she just I can't go positive or negative. I think the problem with it is they gave this basically deep dive and spoon fed backstory to Marina, but then then she just disappeared and we didn't have her for two issues, so we didn't really get to digest and see how she reacted and all these different things about a character. Hey, this is a character we're focusing on for two full issues. It's all about her, and then she's just not there. Well, to comment on that briefly, without blowing the load a little too hard, uh, Marina transferring over to Atlantis follows something that John Byrne was excellent at. John Byrne loved writing all of his shit, like, fluidly, and by this point he was already the Fantastic Four guy, and it tracks pretty well that he would be setting up his own storylines later on. John Byrne also would do a run on The Submariner at one point. So he really did kind of get around that corner of the Marvel Universe, and it doesn't surprise me at all that he would write out his own character for that reason. Dylan, what is it about Marina that you like so much? I think one of the reasons when it comes to Marina that I like her is that when it came to Alpha Flight, she was a brand new character. Like all the Alpha Flight members that we met in Uncanny, Marina wasn't with them. And so to have just this new team, it is nice to have a team that we don't don't have to be introduced to them. Like we already know these characters a little bit from Uncanny and their history with Logan. And I can respect that read, genuinely. And I know I'm jumping around a bit, I actually felt a lot like these stories get kind of same-same at a certain point, so I'm kind of focusing on the character arcs of it. There are two major, in my opinion, defining character moments in this first six. I think the Snowbird fight in All White is brilliant, and I think Puck's perseverance, trying to be a Wolverine when he's not capable of that kind of physical beatdown, is fantastic. These are two of my favorite sequences, not just in John Byrne's 
character narrative, but kind of in the X-verse. I love Puck's perseverance, and I love the ingenuity of a literal blank battle in the snow. And better or worse, I'd love to know what you guys think of those two scenes. For a guy who doesn't have superpowers, Puck gets around very fast. I just wanted to throw that out there. Let me just say, this is my first real exposure to Puck. As we were doing this, I just bid on a Snowbird Puck 1999 Toy Biz figure. That that action figure set was awesome. I remember it really clearly. It's really fucking gorgeous. It is. And... I think he is a fantastic... Snowbird's definitely my third right now, just because... I don't know. Sasquatch reminds me of the Hulk. That's why I like him. But Puck was just... He's hilarious. Like, his interaction with the nurse, his whole episode's acrobatics. Like, he's smart. He's... Like, he's short, and he's just, like, just, like, a burly, like, like uh, circus strongman. He looks cool. He is just, like, hairy as all shit. And I love it. And just the acrobatics part, I'm just like, I just want to see more of what he can do. And just the whole hospital scene where he's just trying to figure out how to escape was so entertaining. And I don't think anything like that in comics has ever entertained me before. And I don't think you could do it with a character unlike him. Like if Spider-Man did it, it would not be nearly as entertaining as this little guy. Absolutely. Agreed. Puck is really an interesting read because exactly like what Mikey just said, you can put him in situations that tons of other characters could be put in and it wouldn't be as enjoyable as watching this little strong man figure out how to do it instead of just like flying away or busting through a wall or something like that. And they're going to make some really, I'm going to say weird, bad decisions with Puck over time. Really weird, really bad decisions. But at this point, the character is like kind of the light of my life in this book. And speaking of characters that kind of light up the book, I do think Sasquatch, Northstar, and Aurora all sort of got the short end of the stick here. Even Snowbird and Shaman got some time to shine, especially when it came to facing down the Great Beast. But for the most part, Northstar, Aurora, and Sasquatch kind of feel like, almost like Byrne said, they got enough attention in the world before this, so I'm going to overlook them now. Makes sense. Gives people a way to, to interact with them, to get to know them more. Not just the same things shoved at you over and over again, especially if you're trying to launch a new book line uh, about a whole brand new team. So it would make sense to figure out why you love the team and fall in love with those characters. I think for the first few issues, getting to know them a little bit better, especially the non-super powerful ones, is a good tactic because the super powerful ones like Snowbird or North Star Aurora with their abilities with each other. You don't want to throw all your cards on the table in the first couple of issues because you want to be able to save bigger, better stories for those characters later once the book is more established. And I really do get that. I think the Puck story served really well and it gave a lot of characterization and character depth without a lot of outright saying it. I don't think his story was particularly interesting. It was very much a, and I say this because I am a Dungeons and Dragons nerd, level one first campaign, first session kind of thing where it's like, you gotta go find these drug dealers and then he finds them. But wait, the doctor was the drug pen all along. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, babies would do this. It did feel kind of like, uh, I finally read some Frank Miller, let me show you how it's done. And they did not show us how it was done. (laughs) 
So I want to know, I've highlighted a lot of my favorite moments in the first few issues and brought up some of my favorite character developments, but were there any standout moments for you guys that you feel we didn't cover yet? I, we already did cover this, but I really just didn't, I didn't care for the twins at all throughout whatever they were in. I want to say that. But we haven't really talked about um, the story kind of being hijacked by Namor and Sue. Because for what was supposed to be an Alpha Flight issue, there sure was a lot of Fantastic Four and Submariner. That's just a John Byrne-ism. You need to prepare for it. I don't think they needed as heavy as a role as they played in this story. Because if this is supposed to be about Alpha Flight and this whole new team, well, I don't really need these old characters kind of showing, shoving them out of the spotlight. For the time that these comics came out, I understand that Alpha Flight probably wasn't hitting the mark with a lot of people. So if you throw a Fantastic Four member, especially Sue with her history with Namor into another book, I understand that that's probably a tactic to get viewers to check out a new book. And then if they like it, well, hey, there was only like four or five issues ahead of it. So I wasn't too upset with it, but I do understand the fact that that entire issue was basically Namor and Sue on a mission, and then a few panels had a few Alpha Flight members in it. One of my favorite things was, though, I I do like that we basically got an entire issue that delved more into Shaman and Snowbird and their history of being what they are in Canada. Because like what we said earlier, it kind of really is like a Justice League team. Like, it kind of seems like all these people know that they can work together, but They have had a history of just being what they are by themselves. So to delve more into them and maybe what they were before they were even working with these other Canadian heroes is a good thing. Was this marketed in Canada as like the Canadian version of the Avengers? Or was it specifically like did they they as in Marvel intend for this to be I know written wise it was Canada's version, but in real life was that was that a thought? That's my first question. You know, I I know that repurposing for an international market was a major concern for the X-Men as early as... 1975, but I don't know if Canada specifically was the market they were trying to capture with this book, though you'd think. Right, you, you would think, but I, I that's what I'm wondering if it, if it was and how sales were just, or like numbers wise. But overall, I think so far, the series starts out really well. Again, this is my first exposure to these characters. Uh, even just some of the main plays, other than Sasquatch, Vindicator, and the like. Uh, I think we're off to a good start. I, I really, really enjoyed the Snowbird issue as well. I think it touches on she's in the in the military, and even in the first very first page, you get an air a thought bubble of somebody saying you're just a pretty blonde scalp. And I know it's 1983, but still, she shows that she's got spunk. She's not going to take anybody's BS. And then later on, she becomes this badass character. So did I think the white pages where it was just kind of blank fighting? I don't know if they ran out of budget. <laughs> for that but uh overall i mean it just progressed really really well and it it just flowed the dialogue flowed it carried it and just very much looking forward to where this is gonna go you know i can actually tell you what led to it uh and that's actually that john byrne was writing and drawing two books at a time he was writing and drawing the fantastic four while writing and drawing all of alpha flight simultaneously and he was really quite pressed for time so he came up with creative ways to not be so pressed for time. That makes a lot of so, sense. So less budgetary and more time constraint. 
Something that I really haven't seen in comics, and granted, I don't have as much experience, or especially with older comics, but I thought it was really interesting to have the history and origins of Alpha Flight as the last few pages of these stories. I actually don't think any of the stories told needed those extra few pages to make them really worth it, but these few pages of the origin of where Alpha Flight came from, I actually think have been really helpful and really cool. Mac kind of just seems to me like the Canadian Tony Stark. That's where we learned that Heather was 17. It's a really old school classic. Oh, look how I can like sneak in stuff. You just don't see it much anymore. And you kind of didn't see it as much back then either. Marvel had moved things like backup stories primarily to titles like Marvel Comics Presents a few years from now. Thor would sometimes get a backup story. If Thor was off on a mission, you know, the Warriors 3 would get a backup story here and there. The lead is super buried there, yeah. What did you guys think about seeing the origins of Alpha Flight in that form? I thought it was really cool. I thought that giving it not all at once was very nice. Nice touch made you want to open up the next issue and not only just see what's going to happen to either a new character or a character you already know, but you get a nice little treat at the end to continue on the little pace that you were going with. Like I said earlier, I I like that we get to find out stories of prior to where we are now just just so it's the team itself doesn't seem like, hey, this is a brand new team and they have no history of doing anything. No, it's it's nice to sometimes have characters that are already established and we get to learn about them and what they did before instead of just, hey, here's a new character and read along and we'll all learn about them at the exact same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a little bit more like walking with you than hand-holding. Guys, we've had such a great time discussing the second major team book to launch out of the X-Men. I don't count the champions because I like myself. Hard to believe that it took Alpha Flight like seven years to get this book. And and it's still not the Alpha Flight it's going to be by the time John Byrne leaves around issue 28. But for now, until we come back next time, Mikey, where can everybody find you online? You can uh, catch me on Twitter at MikeTheBorg9. And I am also... I host of the Pop Culture Federation podcast at Pop Culture Fed on Twitter. Give us a like and a follow, please. Absolutely, guys. Definitely check it out. You can catch more of this guy in our archives on the flashback episodes covering the road to Alpha Flight, as well as Contest of Champions. As for my regular guys, where can we find you guys online? Dylan? You can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me hatching from an egg from a woman's touch on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Or if you want to hear my opinions on something not related to comics or media, nerd media at all, check me out over on HTML with Nico and Kevo and uh, podcast king himself, Joey, for our cover of Rap Battle. Yeah, you know, I we're going to keep pimping that thing out until ABC, sorry, Freeform brings it back. Rap Battle was the greatest holiday extravaganza of all time, and the cast are actually really wonderful people and have all been really great about the coverage we did of the show. So thank you again, cast of Rap Battle, for listening and no hard feelings. 
Additionally, you guys can find me on all the feeds of this show, as well as HTML, on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. All of that on the Cage Club Network, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget you can find me on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, where I pretty much never have a shirt on. And until we return to the great manor at Gray Malkin Lane, we'll see ya. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>